Hey, I'm Alan Hunter. You're listening on the Pantheon Network. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Paramount+. Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG-13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Yeah, two episodes. Oh, yeah. By, oh, oh, I remember. And by the end, you were like, I can't like this band anymore. Yeah. Well, that wasn't the final nail in the coffin. I think that was when we did St. Anger with Make It Stop. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, I think this was that last push I needed. Yeah. I'm kind of not fully there yet, but Nirvana is starting to become my Metallica, just in the sense that I idolized this band for a very long time. Yeah. And especially Kurt, and rereading the book that I had a long time ago, and just learning more about him as an adult. Yeah, it's like, hmm, yeah, I um, no, he made choices. He he certainly did make choices, and they were not good ones. Yeah, so that's it's it's rough, isn't it? When you got to kill your heroes. Yeah. Really killed my hero here. Yeah, I definitely had to kill my heroes with Metallica. I was like, ooh. I mean, arguably. Yeah. but Mine it, was more of like a, nah, this needs to happen. But also, I, I mean, Kurt didn't really want to be a hero to anybody. So maybe it's, maybe it's appropriate that I'm like, nah, you're kind of a bad person. Wow. <laughs> so, Hot takes. Yeah. He, was, he wasn't the greatest person. There were things about him that were redeeming. Oh, yeah. And things about him that were very good. But for the most part, he made some fucking choices that he should not have made. Yeah. And he knew he was doing them. And he just didn't give a shit because he kind of wanted to self-destruct. Yeah. That, yeah. I think maybe he felt that was the only way he could get out of what he was, like, the fame that he didn't want. Maybe. Maybe. Which, I mean, it's sad. Overall, like, it's sad that he made those choices. Yeah. And it's sad that he also, you know, killed himself. I, I'd like to think that if he was still alive, he could have maybe turned it around? If he had divorced Courtney, yeah, he could have turned it around. Maybe? But, first of all, I don't think that either way, whether he killed himself in 1994 or not, he would be around right now. Yeah. I really don't think so. The heroin? There's a lot of things. Mm. A lot of things that make me feel that way. That's fair. But 
even if he was around after 1994, he certainly would not have been in Nirvana. That's for oh, sure. Oh, yeah. Nirvana would have been done soon after In Utero. Yeah, Nirvana wouldn't, I don't think, would have lasted through 1995. Damn. I don't that's think That's so. fair. I think that's fair. And we'll find out why today. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of ground to cover in a very short amount of time. So. We can do this. Welcome to Rock Candy. After that super hyped up and jovial intro. Yeah, I mean, it is just, it's such a, it's a topic, man. This is the, this is the rough episode. Yeah. It's certainly not going to be like Return of the King, which is wonderful and heroic and yeah. makes you cry when everybody bows to the hobbits, but... It's going to be a lot more like the end of Empire, but the end of Empire is how you ended the trilogy. <laughs> Empire Strikes Back? Yeah, is that yeah. what we're talking about? Yeah. Okay. I don't oh, know Star Wars as well. That's I fair. Know. That's fair. I'm Maggie. I'm Ashley. Arguably, and I don't know Star Wars. <laughs> she doesn't know Star Wars, but she does know fucking Lord of the Rings, and she does know Nirvana, mm-hmm. and that's why she's going to teach us all about the end of Nirvana. Yeah. yeah. Sadly. Although we go to the end of the road. Yeah, it's, that's when Boys to Men comes in and just starts singing and everyone's like, ooh, not a good time, B-Team-M. Not a good time. Fun fact, at the 1992 MTV Awards, mm-hmm. um, Boys to Men and Wilson Phillips presented the award that they won one of the awards that they won that nirvana won yeah that's fantastic yeah it's really funny that was that was a choice mtv music awards which it we... was severely 1992 well that's the one we talked about in the in utero episode yeah which if you haven't listened to it go listen to it because we're gonna we're gonna pass over some stuff today because we already talked about it yeah otherwise this would have been a four-parter because it's like we're covering only like i think a year and a half, two years maybe, mm-hmm. and <laughs> there's so much shit. They there's did. St- I, it's it's hard to understand that theoretically, Nirvana was only around in the mainstream from 1991 mm. to early 1994. That's like basically three years. It's three years that that's all nothing. of this shit is happening. That's like a blip. Yeah, that's nothing. But they are still so influential today. And still around, like, you still hear about them all the time. Yeah. There's a resurgence of putting Nirvana shit on t-shirts and selling them at Target now because 90s nostalgia is cool. Yeah. The kids love it. They do. I'm not going to lie. I recently bought a Nirvana shirt at, like, TJ Maxx or something. (laughs) But then after I, I bought it, I was like, wait, no, this is wrong. (laughs) This is weird. This is really wrong. It's like that guy who wrote, wow, I don't remember his name, the guy who wrote Calvin and Hobbes. Yeah. And how he didn't want any of his stuff merchandised. And once he saw people were making it and he stopped writing the comic, he's like, fuck this, you don't get any more. And now shitty Budweiser slinging, hunting dudes have the little Calvin peeing on I don't know, whatever. Everything that, like, liberals or Obama or whatever, it's just peeing on it and they have it on the back of their fucking pickup trucks. Yeah. 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 That's, that's exactly what he didn't want to happen. And guess what happened? And that's exactly what happened. Yeah. So I feel like it's the same in that Kurt and all of them are probably just like, 
Yeah, I guess. All right. Wear a Nirvana shirt. Uh, namely, Kurt. Kurt didn't want that shit. Yeah, my Nirvana shirt from TJ Maxx is the equivalent of Calvin peeing on a liberal's sign or something on the back of somebody's pickup truck. <laughs> it's actually just the Nirvana logo yeah. peeing on the Calvin logo, peeing on a peeing Ford on... pickup truck. <laughs> it's really fucking meta. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, man. All right. Before we get into it, let's get into this beer. Yeah. So, this week we are drinking from Left Hand Brewing Co. Again. Great place. Uh, Milk Stout Nitro. It's America Stout. Is it? That's what they're saying. Are they trying to be like the American equivalent of Guinness? Maybe. I mean, it's like a Guinness that tastes really good. Yeah, I was just going to say it t- tastes almost exactly like Guinness. So. But better. Hey, this is smooth. Is super smooper smooth. Spooper smooth. <laughs> Spooper smooth beer. It's super smooth with soft roastiness and mocha notes. Ah. And it's good to go from the can or you can drink it like a pro in the glass. It's good to know only pros, only professionals drink things from a glass. I'd also like you to know that the ingredients are Rocky Mountain Water. Malted barley, lactose, flaked oats, hops, and yeast. Delicious lactose. I know lactose is your favorite beer ingredient. Oh. Beer ingredient. Here you go. Straight from the cow's teat. Yeah. And also it yells at you them. when you open it. Hold on. I always forget it does that and I scream <laughs> like a little girl when it does. Oh my god, what happened to my beer? What's in it? Get it out. Every time. I'm like, oh, I got But we went with this beer because Kurt was left-handed. He is left-handed. And... And In Utero has a song called Milk It, so... They certainly did milk that teat to get the lactose <laughs> sure into did. this nitro milk stout. Good job, left hand. Good job, left And they only milk the cow with their left hand. Hence the name. Guys, that's really where Left Hand Brewing got their name from. Milking that tea with their left hand. Only the left hand. Only. That's right. our story. We're sticking to it. Yeah. I don't think it really matters when it comes to milking teats. Doesn't. It really doesn't. I don't know. You get that really nice, like, awkward feeling of the lactose when you do it with your left hand. <laughs> it's like a stranger <laughs> drinking the beer. It's like sitting on your hand till it goes numb. Yeah. And then and trying then, to chew And then, and yeah. Yeah. And then masturbating with yeah. it. Yeah. The stranger. <laughs> They were going to call themselves The Stranger, but decided left hand made more sense. Yeah. It's a more linear all, concept. I these guess. are all facts, guys. <laughs> look them up. Don't look them up. <laughs> all right. I'm going to shut up about fake facts about this beer and let you fake talk facts. about- To let you talk about fucking Nirvana, because we fucked off long enough. It's all fake facts. Except this. This is real. Or is it? Oh my God. These are all fake no. facts, too. <laughs> no, it's all real. I swear to God. I did a lot of research, guys. It's real. Let's fucking do it. Okay, so where we left off last time, Nirvana exploded and Nirvana Mania was in full swing. They had just done a world tour and decided to skip doing another U.S. tour. And Kurt and Courtney had gotten married and managed to offend all of their friends at the same time. And Kurt basically went into voluntary isolation with Courtney in their L.A. apartment. Yay. She was still pregnant at this point. She hadn't had Francis yet. Correct. She is still pregnant. Yes. He was quite productive during those five months, painting, writing, and doing a lot of heroin. I was really productive with my heroin use, guys. Real productive. Really locked it down. 
Got a good thing going. He would lock himself in a closet to shoot up so he didn't tempt Courtney while she was pregnant. I guess that's thoughtful. Consider it. Sure. Chris knew that Kurt was doing what Kurt was doing and was furious, but never confronted him. Dave was far more removed from the band than Chris was, so it didn't really affect him as much. Mm. The rifts between Kurt, Chris, and Dave were getting bigger. The boys always wa- always maintained that despite the fact that Kurt and Chris were old friends, none of the guys were particularly close. They didn't hang out outside of touring and recording, and by now Kurt's life pretty much revolved around Courtney. Yeah, all right. Unsurprisingly, then, in March 92, Kurt convinced Chris and Dave to realign their the royalties. Before Nevermind became the juggernaut it was, the guys decided to split royalties evenly. Mm-hmm. But now, after the success of the album, Kurt, possibly with the influence of Courtney, had a change of heart. And now that they're actually making money, he's like, well, I think I deserve more. And now that he has a huge drug problem, yeah, he wants more. And, and now, it's really hard to keep up that heroin habit. And now... Since he has a wife who's also a heroin addict and paying for her heroin, too. Well, she was pregnant, so she wasn't supposed to be doing heroin. She was pregnant. Um, she was pregnant, so yeah. Um, then, But she was going to shoot right up once that baby came out, let's be honest. Yeah, like, he was still going to be paying for her heroin at some point. I mean, I so. guess they were also going to have a baby. I guess. <laughs> but I also feel like that wasn't top on the priority list. Yeah, no, I'm pretty sure this was... Almost a train spotting kind of thing. Like, baby came second to heroin. Ooh. Yeah. Ooh. His argument was, I write 90% of the music, so I should get 90% of the money. Ah. Chris and Dave were actually totally fine with that. But Uh. when Kurt said he wanted to make it retroactive to the release of Nevermind, which would give him a massive slice of the album's proceeds... That's when Kristen and Dave lost their shit. Understand. Well, no, then they should have lost their shit to begin with. I feel like. I yeah, feel like that that's unfair anyway. I mean, it. Any if they wanted to split it so that Kurt got the biggest cut going forward because he was writing most of that. Right, right. Fine. But their agreement up through Nevermind was split it all evenly. Yeah. Like, yeah, retroactively is You can't not just fair. go back and be like, no, I wrote all these songs, so I should get all of the credit for it, even though we had this agreement before. That just seems fucking greedy. Yeah, I mean, definitely. It already seemed a little like, okay. Mm-hmm. And Kurt actually had the nerve to call Kristen Dave greedy. The band became extremely close to breaking up over this, but everyone encouraged Kristen Dave to back down and let Kurt have this one. In the end, Kurt ended up with a 75% cut of the royalties. Jesus. All it did was serve to push the guys farther apart. Right. Still, they went overseas to make up canceled tour dates. It was miserable, especially because Kurt was still on heroin and his stomach pain was out of control. Oh, you're saying the heroin didn't help his stomach. Yeah. Huh. Huh. I think what he would say about that is... He would shoot up heroin and the pain would go away, but as soon as he was coming down off of it, it would come back. back. Because no shit, you're in a state of, you know, euphoric stupor for up to 10 hours. Yeah. So, yeah, you're not going to feel fucking anything. Yep. That's that's how drugs work. 
That's how that drug works. Hey, opioids. That's what they do. Opioids. Opioids. It's like you said, opioids. Opioids. That's what they are. Opioids. Opioids. We really have an opioids problem in this country. Opioids. Opioids. Oh, yeah. It's a real problem. I mean, it is, though. It is. Yes. Anyway, he went to great lengths to get drugs on tour, including getting them from an AIDS patient that a sketchy doctor hooked him up with. He's taking oboioids from AIDS patients. <laughs> like, why? Why do you that's, have to do that? But that's addiction. That's fucking what addiction does to you. And I know we've talked about this. We're going to beat this fucking horse to death. But that's why it's just infuriating that so many people around him just let it happen mm-hmm. when they could have stopped it. And they then could they have just at least said, tried to stop it and should have at least made it very well known that it's not okay for you to do. Yeah, it just kind of sounded like it, he did it. They knew he was doing it, but they said, there's nothing I can do as opposed to yeah. at least trying. And not only was there nothing I could do, but I'm not very close to him, so I'm not going to try. I get it. It is defeating to know that he's probably not going to listen to you. But, but you can at least try. Yeah. And a lot of people in his circle just let it happen. And that's ridiculous. When you are getting opioids <laughs> from an AIDS patient. Yeah. From a sketchy doctor. Yeah. And no. Like, you're... Come on. That's really when they become opioids. <laughs> it's... Yeah. It is so. Opioid. <laughs> While Kurt was supposedly clean during the tour and only taking methadone pills, as soon as he got back home, he started right up with heroin again. He was spending $400 a day on drugs and would have spent more if he could take more than $400 a day out of the ATM. Yeah, that's that's a problem. Yeah, that's almost twice as much as it is now. I think the difference between $100 in 1991 or 1992... Mm-hmm. To now is like, it would be $171 now. Wow. So it's almost twice as much. That's a lot. He had a moment of clarity, realizing his baby was about to be born, and he didn't want to be hooked on the on heroin when the big moment happened. Good! Yeah. So he checked himself into rehab at Cedar sinai Hospital on August 4th, 1992. This wasn't the first time attempting rehab, and it wouldn't be his last. Nope. Aside from getting off heroin, there was another plus to going to rehab. He finally got his stomach issues looked at. Okay, good. Doctors put him through a slew of tests, x-rays, and, sc- and CAT scans. According to Michael Azarad, the author of the book that I was reading, mm-hmm. the verdict was a pinched nerve in his back that led to his stomach, causing undue amounts of pain and vomiting. All right. But he didn't do anything about it. Oh. If he actually did get it diagnosed as something, he didn't do anything about it. So... He just continued using heroin over the course of the next few years. Did the author just assume that this was the problem or is this what some doctors were saying was the problem? No, this is what he, this is what Kurt told him. Oh. Yes. Because the author of the book, Michael Azarad, he was following Nirvana around. He spent a lot of time with Kurt and all of the quotes he uses in the book are directly from Kurt to him. And it's like a firsthand account. Holy shit. So, so 
Kurt knew what was wrong. Yeah. Chose not to do anything. All you have to do, I mean, not all you have to do, but get some surgery. Try something. Granted, they might not have had that much knowledge about it at that point, but still, like, you would think there would be some kind of, like, physical therapy or something. There's definitely people getting back surgery back then. Yeah. Like, they knew how to do back surgery by 92, so. Yeah. Yeah. But no, you know what's easier? Getting heroin. Heroin. <laughs> Yo, that's sad. When your health care is so bad, it's like, you know what would be easier, though? Heroin. Yeah. Meanwhile, shit was about to hit the fucking fan for Kurt and Courtney. Oh, yeah, it was. Vanity Fair magazine released its September 1992 issue with a featured story on Courtney. The photos of a pregnant, naked Courtney in see-through lingerie wasn't what made people clutch their pearls. What did was Courtney's admission that she was using heroin in her first trimester. Not something you tell Vanity Fair, Courtney. Yeah, that's really, really I know you were really proud of the fact that you used and still managed to carry a baby full term, a healthy baby, which is great. That's awesome. But maybe not something to gloat about in a magazine. And this is a weird and unusual misstep for Courtney, I think, because usually... She knows what she's doing when she puts herself in front of the camera in with a journalist and whatever. Of course. She, for some reason, thought this was going to be like a nice little story about her and, you know, her music and stuff. It's like you had one EP that was released a year before this came out. You have nothing coming down the line. Nobody knows who your band is. The only reason Vanity Fair wants to talk to you is because you're Kurt Cobain's junkie wife. Who's pregnant with their baby. Who's pregnant with possibly their junkie baby. Right. So Nobody knows that you're not using. Yeah. So, of course, they're not going to be fucking nice to you. Yeah. They want the juice. Yeah. They want all the details they, and start all the rumors so they can sell magazines. Yeah. They grabbed that citrus and just juiced it for all it's worth. They, they squeezed that orange. Yeah, they weren't there to like handle you gently. Yeah, no. No one cared that she didn't know she was pregnant and stopped using immediately after she found out. Right. It caused an uproar anyway, and children's services got involved. They took the Cobains to court. Where they used the Vanity Fair article and urine tests to prove that Kurt and Courtney were abusing drugs and shouldn't have custody of their as-yet-unborn child. They also ordered Kurt to go to a detox program, even though he was already in one. Oh. So, like, he would have to finish out that program and then immediately go to another detox program. In their defense. He probably could benefit from two in a row. Yeah. Just to, like reaffirm everything he learned the first time right yeah okay on august 18th 1992 courtney gave birth to francis bean cobain at cedar sinai hospital the same one where kurt was going through rehab oh that's convenient yeah courtney personally walked across the hospital to drag her husband into the delivery room screaming at him the entire time and kurt promptly passed out and missed his daughter's birth oh yeah apparently he was on sleeping pills Oh, jeez. Like, prescribed ones in the place? Or was he sneaking them? Oh, I'm sure they were prescribed. Oh, okay. I don't know. I don't know. Contrary to popular belief, Francis was not named after Francis Farmer, but rather after Francis McKee of the Scottish band The Vaselines. Okay. They really loved them Vaselines. They did. 
ever the trendsetters, they were one of the first celebrity couples to give their kid a weird middle name, getting the name Bean from, you guessed it, a fucking bean. <laughs> we like beans. Yeah. They really, like, they're really into beans. They thought she looked like a kidney bean on her sonogram. I mean. So they named her Bean. Do they realize all, they all fetuses do? look like kidney beans? Because that's just what it looks like in there? Yeah. I oh, don't know. Okay. <laughs> they were on drugs. I they were know. on drugs. You're right. You're right. <laughs> Two weeks after Frances was born, child services took her away from Kurt and Courtney. They were forced to surrender custody to Courtney's sister, Jamie, and were not allowed to be alone with their own daughter. Yeah, that's really harsh. That kind of sucks. And I do feel for Courtney at this point because she was going through postpartum depression. And yeah. it was literally two weeks after she gave, she, birth. she gave birth. And they were at that time, they were both clean. Right. I so. do. You know, that's that's a really big misstep in the system. And I get why they did it. Because you're like, oh, I'm hearing all these things. But it was all based on speculation. Yeah. And the Vanity Fair article. If they drug tested that, like, Kurt's already, whatever, in rehab. But if they drug tested Courtney, she should be clean. clean. So why wouldn't you at least drug test her before you decide to take her kid away? Right. That's not fair to her. Like, this is probably the one time we will side with Courtney and be like, this is kind of some bullshit. Yeah. Especially because they were clean. And I feel like this was a real slap in the face to trying to stay clean. Yeah, if this you're not didn't gonna get help rewarded, the struggle. This, yeah. This really didn't help the struggle. If you're still getting your kid taken away when you try to be clean, why is there an incentive for you to not use again? Right. They spent the better part of 1992 battling courts, submitting regular urine tests, and hemorrhaging money in an attempt to get custody of Francis back. Eventually they did, but the media shitstorm it caused put a huge black mark on the couple. Mm. Now the entire world thought of Kurt and Courtney as low-life junkies and the worst parents that ever lived. And they didn't even really have a chance to even be parents at this point. And they didn't really even have a chance to defend themselves. Yeah, that's this is kind of fucked up. Again, yeah. they're finally both clean and they just get shit on for it. Yeah. Rumors of Nirvana breaking up also dogged the band. Kurt's hospitalizations forced them to release statements saying, no, he's not in the hospital for drugs. He's there because of health reasons. This led to people thinking he was on death's door and the band was breaking up. Oh, my God. Whatever the most dramatic story they can build is. Basically. Those rumors couldn't have been farther from the truth, but the band still had fun with them. At the end of August 92, the band headlined England's Reading Festival. Kurt, dressed in a hospital gown and doing his best to look frail and weak, oh my God. was rolled out onto the stage in a wheelchair. <laughs> he shakily got up, sang a bar or two of The Rose by Bette Midler, and then collapsed. Oh my God. But immediately shot back up and launched into breed. The the joke was an outright jab at the English tabloids, which, surprise, surprise, were particularly cruel and ruthless when reporting on the Cobains. No way. It's not like the English tabloids, like, I don't know, hound the royal family so badly that they want to quit the family (laughs) or anything. No. No, they don't do that. God. What is it like to be that terrible of a person? I don't know. How do you live with yourself? How do you live with yourself? The pay can't be that good. I mean, I guess it's pretty good, but you still have to work real hard. Yeah, I just don't think any of it's worth it. Also, you have to ruin people's lives, so... And you have to be a certain level of sociopath, I suppose. Yeah. 
A few days after Reading, Nirvana opened the 1992 MTV Video Music Awards. We already talked about it in our In Utero review episode, so for the sake of time, we won't go over it again. But it was fucking hilarious, and it you was should make sure you listen to it. Hilarious. <laughs> they did win two awards that night. The first was accepted by a Michael Jackson impersonator. <laughs> and during the second, Chris yelled at the end, remember Joseph Goebbels. <laughs> Wait, who's Joseph Goebbels? He was the uh, minister of propaganda for the Nazi party during World oh War II. Oh my god, that's, oh my god. <laughs> now, I don't Christ. think anybody, like, caught on that he was, like, saying, remember this awful Nazi guy? Oh my but god. Yeah. I gotta say, that's, that's a good one, Chris. <laughs> that's a good one. For Kurt and Courtney, the rest of 1992 was spent fighting courts and the media. As a result of the intense media scrutiny, Chris and Dave really rallied behind Kurt and defended him when they needed to. Which, all right, at least you showed up at one point to say, hey, we'll help you. Yeah. They also rallied for causes that Chris was really passionate about. In August, the band played a benefit concert to oppose Oregon's Measure 9, which was a hugely bigoted and homophobic initiative that would force the Oregon government to admit homosexuality was wrong. Right, early 90s. Right, right. Okay. Cool, cool, cool. Good to know that 20 years after that, we were still doing the same fucking thing. (laughs) Christ also became a very passionate opposer to Washington's erotic music law proposal. (laughs) Which was a fucking stupid bill all around. If passed, courts would be able to say certain albums were quote-unquote erotic and therefore can't be sold to anyone under 18. Being a fervent believer in freedom of speech, Chris didn't take to this law very well because it's fucking stupid. This is the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. He went on a TV show called Town Meeting to argue against the law and the whole band campaigned against the bill, culminating in a benefit show on September in September 1992. Also, you can find the episode of Town Meeting on YouTube. <laughs> and it's just him and a, like, a Washington housewife oh, on stage. Of course it is. And they were supposed to have a member of Two Live Crew joined by satellite. I didn't get That's through the wonderful. whole episode, so I don't know if he actually showed up. But the housewife was just... Will somebody think of the children? She she was like... <laughs> she was talking about how her four-year-old wanted like a two-live crew album. And she was like, oh, my stars. I can't believe that you could be listening to this. What? What is this? How is my four-year-old listening to this? Like, because you fucking let her. Like, yeah, like the kids... But also, probably listening to whatever you have on. Also, I'm quite sure that a four-year-old shouldn't be listening to Two Live Crew. Why didn't you do your research about Two Live Crew before you got her the fucking album? If you don't want her to listen to it, say, don't listen to that. Actually, I have questions. Like, at a four-year-old, like, I love Two Live Crew. Yeah. Can I get the Two Live Crew album for my birthday? Like, like, what? No, don't keep four-year-olds here saying that unless you're playing how many, it, you dumb bitch. How many fucking four-year-olds waddled into a strawberries <laughs> by themselves with $20 and said, give me the two live crew album? <laughs> None of them. None. None. There's no four-year-old traips it into the strawberries or the coconuts. None of them. None of them. Nope. 
It's not happening. <laughs> you did this, lady. This is your problem. This is your fault. And you know what? It's also like, whatever. Your choice if you want to let a kid listen to that. You don't get to make a decision for somebody else. Yeah. Also, your four-year-old is not going to understand what the fuck they're saying. Nope. That year was rounded out by the release of Incesticide on December 15th, which... Yes, it is incesticide. I called it insecticide, I'm pretty sure, last episode. Yeah. And that is wrong. It is incesticide. But trying counts. I mean, I could I could believe both pronunciations. Honestly, for the last 25 years, I have been going back and forth, not really knowing which one it really is and not bothering to check. So, yeah. The album didn't contain anything new, per se, as it consisted of B-sides, covers, demos, and random songs that were previously recorded. And Sub Pop still owned the songs which they intended to use for their own compilation that they were cheekily going to call Cash Cow. (laughs) Okay. Geffen bought the recordings from Sub Pop for a six-figure sum and agreed to have Sub Pop's label featured on the back of the album, ensuring the label would get royalties from every unit sold. All right. That's a win for everybody. Honestly, Sub Pop made out on the deal with Geffen. Yeah, they with really, Nirvana. You don't see deals like that anymore. They would have gone under 100% if they didn't get a deal like this. Yeah. So. Good for you, Sub Pop, I guess. You're welcome for the bailout, I guess. Yeah. Sub Pop bailout, 1992. <laughs> Never forget. Somebody needs to put that in a rap song. Oh, my God. I will. Sub pop bailout. 1992. Never forget. <laughs> Geffen opted not to promote incesticide. Still, it managed to climb to number 36 on the Billboard charts and was certified gold by February 1993. Good for them. And these guys still found themselves to be living very different lives by the time 93 rolled around. Chris was taking more trips to Croatia and got involved with helping Bosnian rape victims including organizing a benefit concert in spring of 93. Wow. It was an issue that Kurt was especially passionate about as well. He was a very outspoken opponent of rape and toxic masculinity. Yeah. He even laid into bigoted Nirvana fans, though that did nothing to deter people from buying their albums. Yeah. I'm still going to be a bigot, but I'm also still totally going to buy Incesticide. (laughs) Just going to beat people up to, to sliver. It's fine. I know, like, this isn't what they want, but I'm doing it. Dave mostly kept to himself during time off, writing his own music and contemplating his role in the band. Dave was really unsure of his place in Nirvana from the beginning, and Kurt and Chris, even if they weren't super close friends, always had an unspeakable bond that played out on stage. But Dave was just kind of there. He, yeah. was, just, he was just the drummer. He kind of... Almost looks the part of the kid brother who's going along with his two older brothers. Yeah, he's just there for he's a like, ride. He's like, hey, um, guys, hey, me too. And they're like, yeah, all right, sure. Mom will yell at us if we don't let you play in the band. He didn't contribute anything artistic to the band and felt that Nirvana was Kurt's show. Even though he was writing music, he didn't dare share it with the band for fear it would hurt the dynamic. Yeah. I mean, at this point, Kurt had such a stronghold on the writing i'm sure yeah and there is also that also doesn't take he might look at that as a slight but he also didn't think that anybody else's music was as good as his yeah so that's true i just uh don't think it will really fit into um our repertoire oh my god he'd ringo him 
He would Ringo Dave. <laughs> oh, that's very nice, Dave. We'll put this right, right on, the on the refrigerator. refrigerator. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> oh. What the funny thing is, Dave Grohl would go on to be quite successful. Just a little bit. I mean, we still know who he is, yeah. I guess. <laughs> who? Dave who? Dave, nah. Dave Growls? Dave Growls. <laughs> Meanwhile, Kurt was sinking deeper into isolation. While Kristen and Dave could go unrecognized on the street, Kurt didn't have the same luxury. Mm -mm. He was constantly hounded by people, so he pretty much just stayed home. And that kind of isolation led to certain levels of paranoia, depression, and, you guessed it, drug use. What? No. No way. The band went back into the studio in February 93 to record their next album, In Utero. They chose to work with Steve Albini, a producer that was already popular amongst the quote-unquote grunge crowd, mm -hmm. for his simplistic lo-fi approach to recording. Again, we covered this in an earlier episode, so I'm not going to go into crazy detail. Let's just say that tensions within the band boiled hot through the recording, especially when Courtney arrived for a visit. Mm -hmm. She clearly didn't make a good impression on Steve Albini, and a fight between her and Dave started a long and intense rivalry for years to come. Like, legit decades, guys. Decades. It's been a long time. Yeah. Despite the strain between Kurt, Chris, and Dave, the actual recording went surprisingly quick and smooth. Dave was even able to contribute more, coming up with the main riff for the song Scentless Apprentice mm. and recording an original song, Marigold, that the band made the B-side to the heart-shaped box single. That's right. Good for you, Dave. Yeah, it was really nice. They didn't put it on the fridge. They put it right on the other side of our single. You get the other side. You get the B-side. Yay. <laughs> In Utero was released on September 21st, 1993 and debuted at number one in the U.S., despite relatively little promotion from Geffen in comparison to Nevermind. It received some mostly positive reviews, noting its more mature lyrics and authentic, if varied, sound. By now, the band had basically split into two camps. Chris and Dave on one side, and Kurt and Courtney on the other. Oh, those aren't, that's, those are uneven camps. Yeah. Everyone was living their own private lives, and tension simmered between the bandmates. Dave even quit the band at one point, which is something that a lot of people don't realize. During a flight from Seattle to L.A., Dave overheard a wasted Kurt complain about how shitty of a drummer he was. Yeah. He was fucking pissed and told their tour manager that he couldn't deal with the bullshit anymore and he was quitting. Their tour manager managed to talk him down and Dave stayed in the band. Wow. Yeah. But like, Dave Grohl, pretty agreeable. He's a nice fucking guy. And I'm sure he put up with a lot of shit already. Yeah. But then to just hear Kurt be like, he fucking... So and like, guys, Dave Grohl is not a shitty drum player. No, he's actually a really good songwriter and a multi-instrumentalist. Yeah. He's actually pretty good. And then... And also, he's not fucked up on heroin all the time. <laughs> and also, later on, Kurt told some or a publication or something... Like, he gave credit to Dave for coming up with the riff to Soundless Apprentice, mm -hmm. but then continued on by saying that it was boneheaded. Like, Wait, then, then why'd you use it? Then why the fuck did you use it? And he's like, I had to do a lot to actually make it usable, but yeah, he came up with it. Like, what the fuck? Just give him the fucking credit. It's just kind of unfortunate to hear about how much of an asshole that Kurt was. Yeah, he just didn't want to give anybody 
the credit that they deserved. Right. But at the same time, he didn't want to be considered this musical genius. So what the fuck do you want? Right. And it's, I'm sure he had all these people, not just Courtney, I'm sure he had several people whispering in his ear how great he was. And, and how you he can do probably, better. You can go off on your own. Why are you still in a band? He might have probably been growing a John Lennon complex. And everybody kept comparing him to John Lennon. So yeah. He probably had a John Lennon complex. Yeah, boy probably had a John Lennon complex for yeah, real. Yeah. If he lived, he may have very well have either cheated or left Courtney. Oh, God willing. <laughs> <laughs> and and on that yeah. note, we should take a commercial break. Yeah, all right. Mull over that one, kids. We'll be right back. And we're back. <laughs> Welcome back to the shit show. It is a shit show. And it gets to be an even bigger shit show. What? How can it get bigger? How can it get worse? <laughs> How can you. it possibly get any worse? <laughs> Let me tell you. July saw more trouble for the Cobains when Kurt was arrested at their home. Uh. Uh. Yeah. I actually don't remember this. A Seattle Times article reported that the couple had a bit of a domestic and were physically fighting over handguns and an AR-15. <laughs> Why do they have these? They apparently really liked guns also. They were really into guns. They were into old boyoids and, and guns. guns. Perfect pairing. That's a great pairing. <laughs> this old boyoid really pairs well with an <laughs> AR-15. According to Kurt, the newspaper was drastically wrong. They were actually just play fighting, running around the house, screaming and wrestling, and someone called the cops on them. Honestly, I can see this happening because they did do that shit. Because they were fucked up all the time and they wrestled. That's what they did. I don't know. Yeah, I get it. Bizarre mating rituals. However, you got a baby now and maybe you should also stop stop doing drugs. But they also had a nanny. So let the nanny take care of her. We'll wrestle. To be that nanny. Yeah. There oh. is no amount of alcohol. Oh. So <laughs> there is a scene in Montage of Heck mm-hmm. that is a home movie of Kurt and Courtney and their nanny trying to cut Francis's hair. Oh, God. Kurt is obviously fucked up. Got, like, the facial sores that heroin users get and all that shit. And he's sitting in a chair, holding Francis on his lap, and nodding off and, like, slumping over. While Courtney, also fucked up, is wielding a pair of scissors, trying to cut Francis's hair. And the nanny is just kind of sitting there, just letting it all happen. And I'm like... You're the sober one. Oh, my God. Maybe you should take the sharp scissors away from Courtney. Maybe. Maybe you should try cutting Francis's hair yourself. Yeah. Maybe. Or are you but just also, sitting there trying to catch the baby when Kurt inevitably falls off the chair? Can you imagine trying to take scissors out of Courtney's hand? You oh, gonna get stabbed. You're gonna, you're gonna get stabbed. You're gonna get stabbed. She gonna shank you. Yeah. But anyway, as the cops were arresting Kurt, Courtney admitted they had guns in the house. And looking back on it, it's kind of a devastating piece of foreshadowing. Hold up. They had guns in the house. Did they take the guns away? They did not take the guns away. because They had to arrest him because that is what the law dictated 
when the cops were called to a domestic disturbance. Of course. So they had to take Kurt into custody, or, or Kurt or Courtney. Um, Kurt elected to go, but because nobody brought any charges against him, they didn't take them away. But <laughs> known drug users. Yeah. But I mean, still got to keep their guns. They hadn't been busted for gun for uh, drug possession or anything, so they had no priors. Kurt had no priors, so that's not on record. Arguably, a bigger reason for gun control than anything. Maybe you could stop a couple suicides. Maybe, maybe, but okay. But this will come back later. Oh yeah, well, turns out. <laughs> The band went on their first tour in support of In Utero on October in October 93. Earlier in the summer, the band decided to add another guitarist to the mix. I think official word is that they wanted to beef up their live performances, but it could also have been because Kirk couldn't handle singing and playing guitar at the same time. Hmm. It wasn't the first time they hmm. brought Jason Everman on when they were promoting Bleach because... Yeah. He couldn't sing and play guitar at the same time. I think I remember, I don't know if I saw the clip, but people were talking about there's clips of Kurt trying to sing and play at the same time and he just couldn't do it. Yeah, it's not that easy. And In Utero has arguably more complicated songs on it. Definitely. Again, stand by it. Best album. Yes. 100%. I agree. (laughs) Someone out there is like, fuck you. It's not. Everyone is already up in arms over me saying Dave Grohl is a better musician than Kurt Cobain. Right. Blame your brother. I understand. Shots fired (laughs) at our dear friends at Blame Your Brother Podcast. (laughs) But they are not too, they are none too pleased. I know. It's just a good old fashioned elbow in in the side. It's like, yeah. I stand by it. Absolutely. Again, I think Kurt died. Too young to have a valid opinion. But also, like, Dave wasn't fucked up on drugs all the time. Kurt just is his own device. We keep rolling in circles here. I'm sorry. Kurt couldn't even remember his own lyrics. Because he was so fucked up. If No, not even when he was fucked up. Like, he just couldn't remember his lyrics. Wow. Listen to Unplugged in New York over again. He fucks up the lyrics to so many of his own fucking songs. And he was arguably sober back then? Or at least probably not high during that performance? Uh, maybe. <laughs> we'll see. Kind of. <laughs> anyway. He was on some very light oboids. <laughs> some light oboids. After careful consideration, they decided to bring in Pat Smear... Former guitarist of the punk band The Germs, Pat, oh. Pat had a very different experience playing with Nirvana than Kristen Dave did. He wasn't privy to all the tension, drug abuse, and general bullshit that was going on. Oh, so he probably had a, I toured with Nirvana. I had a lovely time. He did. He had a fucking fantastic time. He injected a sorely needed amount of happiness into the band. Aww. He really was just happy to be there, and that rubbed off on everyone else. He also provided a much-needed bridge between Chris and Dave on one side and Kurt and Courtney on the other. Aww. But also a job that should not have been thrust upon him. Oh, no. But for the most part, Pat had a great time in Nirvana. He, I don't even think he was there for... Yeah, he wasn't even in the band for a year. No. And he was only a touring musician, but it was fucking fantastic for him. This is so much fun, guys. Yeah. The MTV Unplugged special aired in November... 
and the band's onstage behavior made it seem like everything was hunky-dory. Mm. They played so smoothly and cohesively that their unplugged special became one of the most revered in televi- televised rock history, which is ironic considering the band was convinced it was going to be a disaster. Rehearsals went terribly. Dave kept banging his drums too hard. Oh, yeah. And the band was nervous about playing acoustically, which they'd never done before. Kurt didn't actually even play acoustically. He put his guitar through an amplifier, which was camouflaged to look like a monitor wedge. Oh, that cheeky little monkey. But they pulled it off. They had a specifically curated playlist, which which only included one of their big hits. The rest were lesser-known Nirvana songs, plus some covers, and an absolutely heart-wrenching rendition of Lead Belly's Where Did You Sleep Last Night. But man, I gotta tell you, David Bowie's cover of Man Who Sold the World. Still really good. Also, he fucked up all of the lyrics to that song. (laughs) Oh, wait. That wasn't originally Nirvana's song? What? That was a David Bowie song. What? Yeah. You heard it here first, kids. But no, I didn't actually never really realized he fucked up all the words. Oh, yeah. I'll have he, to go back he and He mumbled listen. through that whole song. That wasn't just like a stylistic choice. No. That was just him. That was him not knowing the lyrics. Cool. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Kurt seemed happy, joked around, told stories, and seemed calm and happy. I said happy twice. <laughs> He's... Ah. That's how happy he was. He was happy. He was. he was happy. He was so happy twice. <laughs> he was so happy twice. <laughs> Behind the scenes, he was reportedly going through withdrawal and was suffering a bad bout with stomach problems. He took Valium to get through the show. It would also be the last televised show the band would ever perform. Mm -hmm. Withdrawal didn't last long. He was still using in February 94 when Nirvana went on their European tour. The tour was a disaster and it appeared that Kurt's life was starting to really fall apart. I mean, we're at 94 now. Home stretch, man. Home stretch. From the beginning of the tour, Kurt wanted to cancel it. His mood was in the dumpster and he was fighting off bronchitis and laryngitis. Oh, God. And he just didn't want to be there. Well, and bronchitis and laryngitis, how the fuck is he expected to sing? He always had bronchitis. He had he had a slew of health problems since he was a little kid. One of them was bronchitis. Like, anytime he got on a fucking plane, he got bronchitis. That's awful yeah that's why he hated going to europe is because every time he went there he got sick oh that does really blow yeah it Mm. does on march 1st while in munich germany kurt and courtney got into a fight over the phone courtney claims it was because kurt found out she was thinking about cheating on him he blew a gasket and marched into buzz osborne's dressing room to unload his woes onto him because the Melvins were opening for Nirvana oh, on the okay. tour. <laughs> he even admitted that he wanted to get a divorce. This Munich show would be Nirvana's last performance ever, which Kurt ended abruptly, citing laryngitis as the issue. Which, I mean, is valid. Yeah. But also, like, he's got a lot going on. Yeah, he's got a lot on his mind. He might not want to perform that night. Yeah. The tour was rescheduled to resume on March 11th, so the guys went... Uh, went their separate ways until then. Kurt flew to Rome where he reunited with Courtney and Francis. Courtney woke up on the morning of March 4th to find Kurt unresponsive. This wasn't the first time this has happened. Back in July of 1993, Kurt overdosed on heroin before a show at the Roseland Ballroom in New York City. Mm. She pumped him full of Narcan and only a few minutes later he was on stage. Oh. Literally from overdose to playing a show within minutes. And to be, to imagine, like, the people in this crowd have no idea. No clue. If you were at that show, you had no idea. He almost, he overdosed. He was, oh, he was dead. For all intents and purposes, he was dead a few minutes ago. 
That's crazy. How can you live your life like that? I don't know. <laughs> Rock and roll lifestyle. Also, you're 27. On that day in Rome, Kurt had ingested over 50 Rohypnol pills and washed them down with a bottle of champagne. Oh. Yeah, Rohypnol ain't no joke. What does it do? I think it's very close to fentanyl, maybe? Right? It's an oboioid. <laughs> That's all you need to know. It's a bad oboioid. It is a it is a supreme oboioid. It's a woboioid. Oh my god. I don't think we've actually said the word opioid until just now when can't. I just said I it. I can't anymore. Nope, it's oboioids. <laughs> By the time the ambulance arrived, Kurt was in a coma. The official word from Nirvana's management was that it was an accidental overdose. Courtney confirmed it was a suicide attempt. Yeah. Which, yeah, I'm I'm going to say it. Yeah. Sounds like a suicide attempt 50? to me. Yeah. Yeah. That's not an accident. No. It's not. You can't say they're vitamin C pills or something. That's no. No. Nobody takes 50 vitamin C pills <laughs> at once. Or, <laughs> or like, God, I missed a whole five years of vitamin C talents. Also, I better take them all at once. Like, maybe if you have scurvy, actively <laughs> have scurvy. Uh, yeah. He had scurvy, so he wanted to take <laughs> some vitamin C, sir. I also don't think vitamin C would do that to you. What? Like, Put cure you? Your... fucking coma. Oh, no, it wouldn't. It also wouldn't cure your scurvy. No, I'm saying, like, <laughs> it certainly wouldn't cure it right away. You would pee it all out. Yeah, right? But, um, no, I'm saying, like, he. If they wanted to say he got it confused for his vitamins or something. Oh my God. Nobody takes 50 vitamin pills a day. Oh, again, unless he was trying to cure scurvy. <laughs> that should have been their official word. Yeah, he had scurvy. He was just, he thought it was vitamin C. It's fine. <laughs> just trying to cure scurvy, sir. He spent the last three months on a pirate ship and uh, it was wacky and times for him. Broke out in scurvy and it's just. A whole crew got it. The whole crew. Everyone got scurvy. I went on a cruise and I just came back with scurvy. But yeah, C- Courtney confirmed it was a suicide attempt and he had even left a note in it saying he'd rather die than deal with another divorce, meaning... His parents. His parents. Yeah. I get that. Yeah. After five days in the hospital, Kurt was allowed to return home to Seattle to recuperate. However, he wasn't any better mentally. He was fully in the grip of addiction. And to her credit, Courtney did attempt to curb it. She refused to let him shoot up in the house, but that just led him to shooting up in gross motel rooms or his dealer's place. Yeah. This is turning into a real total rock star. Move yeah. Of like, I'm going to shoot up whether you want me to or not. And I'm going to shoot up wherever I can do it. Even if that place is horribly dirty and I could get something from it. Like scurvy? Like scurvy. <laughs> that's, that's the real... That was the real danger fear. of shooting up heroin. It wasn't getting, getting AIDS from a dirty needle. It wasn't getting Hep C. It wasn't you know ODing and dying. It was the scurvy. Yeah, <laughs> that was the real fear. It's the unknown assailant. <laughs> Jesus. On March 18th, Kurt and Courtney got into an argument, and the Seattle police were called. Courtney told them that Kurt was suicidal and had locked himself in a room with a gun. Mm. He insisted he wasn't suicidal, but the police confiscated all of the guns anyway. Thank you. Finally. One week later, on March 25th, Courtney held a surprise intervention for Kurt. Oh, somebody finally did it. Finally. You know what? Kudos to Courtney. 
Friends, bandmates, and management gathered to convince him to go to rehab. He felt ganged up on and refused to go, insisting that he just needed a good therapist instead. Okay. By the end of the day, he relented after hours of Courtney screaming that she would divorce him if he didn't go and friends flushing his stash down the toilet. Courtney also promised to go to rehab herself. Okay. Fair deal. Fair deal. That's, yeah. And Courtney, one and, one. and Courtney actually left for rehab the next day. It was the last time she would see Kurt. Now, who's watching Francis? I assume the nannies. Or it was either the nannies or, or Kurt's sister. or Kurt's family. Yeah, okay. He didn't attempt to go to rehab until March 29th, but a fist fight with Chris at the airport terminal prompted Kurt to abandon the idea and go home. What? He got he just got into a fist fight with Chris. Well, okay. Was he super taking... mismatched? Why? Oh, yeah. Like, come on. You're come not going to win. You're that almost one. a foot shorter than this guy. Yeah. It's not happening. The next day, Kurt went to his friend Dylan Carlson and asked Dylan to buy him a gun, presumably because he wasn't allowed to own any after his were confiscated less than two weeks earlier. And this is where Dylan says, no, Kurt, I will not buy you a gun. No. Dylan said, sure, I'll buy you a gun. Fuck you, Dylan. Not quite understanding how bad of an idea that was. Even though he was at the fucking intervention. Are you... This is what but... I'm saying. This is what I'm saying about the people in the circle. Yeah. But... Dylan Carlson also had a heroin problem that super escalated after Kurt died. So who, kn- who knows what state of mind he was in also. I guess. But still. He did offer to hold on to the gun for Kurt, but Kurt insisted it was fine and convinced him he was only keeping it at home for protection. From what? Apparently trespassers. Yeah. I guess. Anyway. The next day, March... Are you going to shoot him? Huh? You don't have a stay in your ground law in Seattle. I don't know. I don't know what the laws were with trespassers and shit. Pretty sure he had a gate, too, but whatever. I don't know. Anyway, the next day, March 30th, Kurt checked into the Exodus Recovery Center in L.A. Thank you. No one told Exodus about Kurt's suicide attempt in Rome or his chronic depression, so extra precautions were not taken with him. Cool, cool. Yeah. Good idea, guys. (laughs) Visitors said he seemed to be in a good place, and he candidly talked to counselors about his drug addiction and family problems. And he was supposed to stay at Exodus for four weeks. On the evening of April 1st, after only a couple days at the center, Kurt walked outside to have a cigarette and scaled the six-foot fence when no one was looking. (laughs) Wow. He grabbed a taxi to the Los Angeles airport and took a red-eye flight back to his home in Seattle. How did he have, like, so they let him keep his card and his wallet and stuff on it? Apparently. I feel like you should take that stuff away. They sh- they probably would have if they knew he had a suicide attempt and chronic depression. I'm just surprised they don't take it away from anybody. So anybody can leave yeah. whenever they fucking want. It's voluntary. So yes, they can leave whenever they want. The program, you're, it's supposed to be four weeks, but you sign yourself in. You can sign yourself out whenever you want. He didn't sign himself out. He could have just signed himself out. That instead, was always just, an option. Instead, he just took the hard way. <laughs> Kurt went back to his and Courtney's home at 171 Lake Washington Boulevard in Seattle in the wee hours of April 2nd. His friend Callie DeWitt was house-sitting with his girlfriend, 
But DeWitt was high at the time and it didn't even register to him that Kurt was home. He thought he was hallucinating. I guess if you're that high. Wow. Okay. Here's the big problem, too. Everyone's high. Everyone is on drugs. Literally everyone. Not helpful. Later that morning, Kurt took a taxi to purchase more shotgun shells. That was the last confirmed sighting of Kurt. There were plenty of unconfirmed sightings in his last few days in Seattle, but no one knows his footsteps for sure. Courtney couldn't find Kurt anywhere, couldn't get a hold of him, and no one could really say they had seen him, and she knew he was suicidal. So on April 3rd, Courtney hired private investigator Tom Grant to track down Kurt. He would have had an easier time doing that if Courtney hadn't canceled Kurt's credit card, which could have tracked his movements if his purchases went through. But should she cancel them kind of after she realized Kurt had gone missing? I think so. Hmm. Like, probably when, you know, Exodus called her and was like, yeah, he just jumped the fence. Right. She was like, oh, long they realized that. Yeah. And then she the next day she was probably like, oh, cancel the credit card, mm. which, yeah, I get it. But also you made things really Hard. a lot harder. Yeah. It finally dawned on Callie that he actually had seen Kurt and immediately called Courtney. Okay, there you go. She sent Eric Erlinson to the house to help Kelly search for Kurt. The house was searched a total of three times, but everyone failed to check the garage or the greenhouse above it. Kurt had successfully disappeared. For nearly six days, no one could find him. Then, on April 8th, 1994, an electrician went to Kurt and Corny's house to install security lighting. He found Kurt's body lying on the floor of the greenhouse. At first, he thought he was just sleeping. In reality, Kurt had taken the 20-gauge shotgun Dylan Carlson had bought for him, laid it under his chin, and shot himself. A suicide note was stuck in a flower pot nearby with a pen. Toxicology reports would later confirm Kurt had an almost unbelievable amount of heroin in his system, as well as Valium. Like, so much that he could have even just died from an overdose. He could have. And that became a point of contention with the, like, Kurt Cobain death truthers out there. I'm not gonna lie. I've watched the doc. What was that documentary? Soaked in Blood or something? Oh, I don't know. Oh, there was one on Netflix. Oh. And I was really captivated by it. Where the P, I think it was actually the private investigator that Courtney hired. Oh, yeah. He, after he, this, he became like the leader of the conspiracy theories. Yeah, he has a documentary. Tom Grant, he has a book, too, called Who Killed Kurt Cobain? And he lays out everything. I used to have it. I think I sold it back to Amazon at one point, which <laughs> makes me very angry because I want it back. Right. <laughs> because it's just malarkey. It is such bullshit. It's, and he is so adamant that oh, Courtney yeah. like personally killed Kurt. I'm like, nah, dude, like I'm sorry. I'm not gonna lie, I was captivated. Like when you first it watch is. the documentaries and probably the same with you reading the book, you're like, This is such a good argument. I was like, Courtney killed Kurt yep. for like a good year. Yeah. Oh, for my like entire adolescence, I was like, Courtney killed him and then as an adult I'm like she didn't. She didn't. She probably had a heavy hand in screwing him up mentally enough where he wanted to commit suicide, but she did not physically pull the trigger. No. She did She didn't. was not the sole reason for him wanting to die either. Right. She didn't help, but I also don't want to put the blame on her. 
not all of it, certainly. I yeah, I mean, I don't I'm not a Courtney fan, but I am not a fucking death truther like yeah. most like not most, but like some people are. Yeah, I'm not going to go that far and That's that's kind of uh, that's kind of It's also up. distasteful. It is. And it's also something that Courtney would say if she were on the outside looking in. Right. She would be pointing the finger at, you know, herself and be like, "Oh, that bitch did it." That bitch did it. Yeah. True. Kurt's death sent shockwaves through the music world and devastated his friends and family. A public memorial was held on April 10th. Some of Kurt's family made speeches, and recorded statements from Chris and Courtney were played to the crowd of thousands of mourners. Courtney read parts of Kurt's suicide note to the crowd. The note was addressed to his childhood imaginary friend, Boda. Oh. It lamented that Kurt found himself to be a pitiful rock star and didn't feel happy about making music anymore calling himself the sad little sensitive unappreciative Pisces Jesus man. God damn it. Shots fired Kurt at himself, but also all Pisces. Yeah. <laughs> he ended the note by saying, "I'm too much of an erratic moody baby. I don't have the passion anymore, and so remember, it's b- better to burn out than to fade away." He then encouraged Courtney to continue on for Francis, who would be better off without him. I mean, that's not true. It's not at all. But I also understand the sentiment of how he felt. Yeah. When it's like, I'm just more trouble than it's worth. Mm -hmm. Your life will be easier if I'm not around. Yeah. Courtney showed up to the vigil later and gave out his clothes and belongings. Later, Kurt's body was cremated. Courtney divided the ashes and took some to a Buddhist monastery in Ithaca, New York, where his ashes were blessed and then mixed with clay and turned into memorial sculptures. Oh. Are they are they in Ithaca? Or yeah. did she take them? No, I think they're still in Ithaca. Oh, shit. I did not know that. I didn't either. So well, there you go. We learned something. In the months after Kurt's death, Kristen and Dave retreated from the spotlight. Dave took the loss especially hard and dealt with a serious bout of depression afterwards. He, yeah. gr- he grappled with the idea that Kurt was gone while he was able to continue living. He may not have had the closest relationship with Kurt, but he was truly heartbroken by his death. You know, that's something I've thought about, too, that I think you can still have survivor's guilt even when it, you didn't. It's not like the person died and you were there and like it could have been either of you. Oh, yeah. I think like you can look at someone close to you that died, especially like tragically or young, and say... Why are they gone and I'm still here? I kind of feel that's exactly how I felt when my friend Ben committed suicide. I wasn't super close with Ben, um, but he was somebody that had just been around for for years and he was close friends with my other friends. So when he committed suicide, I was like, what the fuck? Like, I could have been a better friend. I could have tried talking to him. And tr- just trying to understand it was nearly impossible. Of and, and you wonder why, like, why did they have to do it? What could I have done? And why do- Why am I still here and they're not? They were such a good person. Right. You know? And now I feel kind of bad for all the shit that I was giving Chris and Dave. It's like, I'm sure after this happened, they gave themselves ten times more oh, yeah. of that shit. Oh, they absolutely of, did. We could have done more and we didn't. Right. Survivor <sighs> guilt was definitely real with them. Yeah. We all know that Dave eventually went on to find continued success coming into his own with his band Foo Fighters. I'm sorry, who? What's the band? No, never heard of them. Never heard of that. Foo what? Yeah. And who Fighters? <laughs> who Fighters? Who Fighters? <laughs> they just fight 
Dr. Seuss characters. Well, I thought they were going to fight Dr. Who characters. Both. My God. (laughs) And he famously also had a long, drawn-out feud with Courtney over Nirvana royalties and releases. And so much more. And so much more. So much more. At one point, I believe, Courtney accused him of hitting on Francis. Yep. Which, what? Man. The shit these two lobbied back and forth at oh each other God. could be an, a, an episode all in its own. We should just do another feud episode. Well, that's why we didn't pick them for the first feud episode, because there was too much shit. Ha! And we had to, like, highlight other feuds, too. Right. We couldn't just talk about them. Yeah, we might just do a feud on Courtney and Girl, because it's, whoa. Just all of Courtney Love's feuds in one episode. It's a lot. It's a lot, guys. It's It's almost too exhausting to think about. Yeah. She is just an exhausting person. How is she? And I, like, I don't want this. I'm not wishing anything, but how is she not dead? Because her life is exhausting to hear about. It's because her entire- I would have been dead. It's because her entire body is now encased in plastic. Oh, okay. That'll do it. That's it. There you go. (laughs) She's really dead. She's just a skeleton. She's just dead inside. (laughs) Like, oh my god, the shit that she stirs. I'd be so tired. Yeah, she's just... Constantly. She's just a skeleton on strings and Billy Corgan is dancing her around everywhere. Aww. But you know, Chris also continued to make music and be politically active. Which I did not know. Yes. (laughs) But straight a bit further from the spotlight. In the years after Kurt died, Chris played in numerous bands and participated in a lot of musical collaborations. He formed various bands with a who's who of Seattle rock, including mm-hmm. Kim Fale of Soundgarden, Kurt Kirkwood of the Meat Puppets, and even Jello Biafra. Ooh, look at you. He joined the band Flipper for a while and occasionally makes an appearance when remaining members of Nirvana gather for a reunion. I believe he's also now in a band called Giants Among the Trees or something like that. I feel like I've heard of this. Yeah. That sounds familiar. It's looking at their pictures, it's an interesting ragtag group of weirdos that Are just they got all together. insanely tall. Nope, just him. Oh, okay. <laughs> just him. These days he's far more into politics than music. He advocates for political reform and has written a book called Of Grunging Government. Let's fix this broken democracy. He's right. Let's fix it. Let's, fix it. Let's fix it. Guys, let's fix it. He says he can't really categorize his political views and doesn't align with the left or the right. He has, however, supported libertarian candidates in the last two presidential elections. Okay. These days, Chris lives in a large farm near Deep River, Washington, Aww. where he grows his own food. Is he still with Shelley? No. Oh. He and Shelly got divorced in 1999. Oh. And he remarried in 2004. Okay. He can now boast about having two kids, a pilot's license, and a bachelor's of science from Washington State University. Look at you, Chris. Yeah, he's done some things. Look at you. You really, you know what? You know who the real winner of this is? Chris. It's Chris. Yeah. It's Chris Novoselic. Like, he is living his best life. He's a pilot. He still rocks out. He grows his own food. And he's still getting those sweet Nirvana royalties. Right? And he's six foot seven. Most importantly, he's six foot seven. I'm still here for that. He's yeah. six foot seven. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, winner of Nirvana, Chris Novoselic. Chris Novoselic. Um, Let's give him a fucking round of applause because no one gives a shit about Chris. 
maybe he likes it that way. I don't I'm sure know. he does. I wouldn't blame him. Um, but yeah, and we all know what the fuck happened with Courtney. But also, these are not episodes about Courtney, so who gives a fuck? She's played a large role in them, though. She has too large of a role. She's quite a large role in Nirvana, unfortunately. She's got quite a large hole, too. Ha! Works, because it was also her band. Yeah. Who, <laughs> <laughs> honestly, I believe, really would not have lasted very long at all if she wasn't with Kurt. So Probably not. Which is unfortunate, because I think the music's... I wouldn't hate the music so much if I didn't dislike Courtney so much. Yeah, the music isn't that bad, but it's also... It's, it was nothing spectacular. True. It was nothing extraordinary. It was nothing we hadn't heard before. It just so happened that instead of L7, who is a much better band, mm-hmm. getting famous, Courtney did because she married Kurt. Mm. The only reason Hole got big, the only reason they got a record deal was because she married Kurt. Yeah. Say what you will. Courtney definitely benefited on her relationship with Kurt, and she benefited from his death. Yeah. Absolutely. She's still benefiting from him. I know it's gross to say, but you can't look at Courtney Love and tell me. Like, I don't understand worshiping Courtney Love. I think she is the exact example of what not to do. Yeah. To humans. Like, that is an example of someone who lacks empathy. She's the exact example of somebody who got where she is by manipulation and not having any and not feeling bad about it. Right. She 100 percent manipulated everyone, including Kurt. I don't think she wanted Kurt to die. Oh, no. And I think that she and I will give her credit. I think she did try to stop it. And I don't think she killed him. But I think she understood that if even if he did die, she would still benefit. She would benefit from it. Yeah. Whether he was alive or not. Yeah. She would benefit. And just overall, Kurt didn't have to die. It's maybe he had a point when everybody had him for the intervention. He's like, I just need a good therapist. Maybe he just needed a good therapist. I think he needed a lot of things, including a good therapist. Because a lot of his issues were based in depression. Yeah, which nobody's going to do that much heroin if they're happy with themselves and or their life. I don't think he ever did anything about his depression. I'm sure he didn't. It was the stomach issues that consumed him. It wasn't the depression. It wasn't his childhood. It wasn't anything like that. And I don't think he really gave a shit about finding a therapist to talk about it all with. No. He didn't care. He figured, I can get a heroin problem that will fix everything. Which I'm like, that's not... And he didn't understand that. You can't control a heroin addiction. Well, I wonder if he just wanted the heroin addiction to kill him. That could have been it. That could have been part of the reason why he he did it. He got fed up that it wasn't actually killing him or whenever it was about to kill him, someone would bring him back. And he was like, well, let me just actually just shoot myself. Or he knew he had the power to allow it to kill him. Yeah. And I'm sure he pumped himself full of heroin and Vicodin. So that, or was it Valium? Valium. I'm sorry. Uh, heroin and Valium. So that went, so he could kill himself. Yeah. Like he wasn't going to do it any other way. Well, if you shoot up that much heroin, I don't, I don't know how heroin works, but I assume you have a little bit of time before it takes its full effect for you to pick up a gun and shoot yourself. Yeah. So. Yeah. I mean, intravenous drug use 
I don't think it's immediate immediate, but it's pretty fucking quick. Yeah. I think it is within like seconds or minutes. But he still had enough time to grab to grab the gun and probably just when he was doing it, it was it it would hit at the same time so he wouldn't feel it right, as right, badly. Right. I'm you know? sure. He he thought this out. Like there is that question of how much you know, again, we gave him the business, but how much could have people done? Mm-hmm. He clearly had a plan, wanted to do it. And he was going to do he it. He was going to fucking do it. Yeah. He was going to find a way. So it's tragic and it's sad. And maybe it's just what was meant to happen. Not meant to happen. That sounds wrong. Inevitable. Yeah. Yeah. I think inevitable is better If word. he wasn't willing to get the help that he should have been getting, then yeah, it was inevitable. Hopefully... Nowadays, we've learned enough from experiences like that Yeah, to be able to say, okay, we don't want you to go down this path. Let's get you the help you need. Yeah. It just upsets me that the last couple of years of his life, he was kind of a dick bag to everybody. And I think half of that was the drugs. Yep. And I think half of it was Courtney. And I think half of it was chronic depression. Well, hey, there's three halves to this. <laughs> I was going to say. Wait <laughs> like four trimesters. What's the fourth <laughs> trimester, though, Ashley? What's the fourth? What's the fourth one? What's but, the fourth half of this? Yeah. And, like, the other part is, you know, unchecked depression that yeah. he never bothered to. And and I don't think he wanted to get any help for any of these things. And maybe, There's a level of self-loathing, right? Yeah. That he that he had, thrived off of, and he thought that's what he needed to survive. I would have loved to see the timeline where Kurt beats this, and maybe becomes like a great fucking dude and is clean and becomes an amazing musician. Like, not that he wasn't, but you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Like, his talents aren't wasted because he's high all the time. Yeah. That that's like the timeline I would love to see. Yeah. And I'm not going to, like, completely tear him down. He was a really good songwriter. He Mm -hmm. had amazing ideas for songs that nobody was thinking of at that time. But I'm going to stand by it. Dave was a better drummer. Oh, yeah. I mean, I I never heard Kurt drum. He wasn't that good at it, honestly. (laughs) Where Where was that kid drum that he has, his aunt gave him? Oh, that he would... Bang walk while up and down the street. Yeah, yeah. Walk up down the street. There you go. I don't know, man. Yeah. Either way. It's it just really sucks when you realize that your heroes are human and they're kind of jerks most of the time. Yeah. And but it's still heartbreaking when they leave this world and there's a huge empty void where they where they belong. Right. What could he have done if he didn't die? Right. And that's the question we're always going to be left with with Kurt Cobain. At the end of the day, what could have he done? Yeah, Nirvana probably still would have broken up. Yeah. Maybe they would have had a reunion tour. Maybe. I don't know. But, like, the the idea of, like, that butterfly effect that could have happened in the alternative timeline when Kurt Cobain didn't die. Mm-hmm. Like, oh my god, mind-blowing. What would have happened? What like, would have happened? We would have never gotten butt rock. Oh man. If if keeping Kurt here on Earth means we never had Papa Roach or like Creed or Creed or 
Nickelback. Or Nickelback. Or Godsmack. Stained or Godsmack. Mm, I'd be Man, fine with that. I'm all right with that. I don't know how many people we just alienated, but <laughs> guys, Nirvana's better. <laughs> just saying it. All of these bands at some point were part of my adolescence, so. Same. Yeah. We're not proud of it. But we didn't have Nirvana anymore, so what were we going to do? Yeah. But now I think uh, we're we're taking Kurt and... Putting them on the shelf with Metallica. But not the same shelf. Like, not the same part of the shelf. Metallica um, is like, you're in a timeout until I'm ready. Yeah. Kurt's like, I think we're good here. Yeah. I'll I respect here. you, but also I know kind of where you were at as a person. Yeah. So their music takes on a whole new meaning now that I'm older. Yeah. Getting older kind of sucks, but it also does mean you got to kill your heroes sometimes. You do. That's fine. You really do. It's better. It's a good way for you to be your own person. Take on your own life. More mm-hmm. room to celebrate me. Celebrate me. <laughs> and thank you for celebrating us. Yay. Thank you for listening. We hope you guys enjoyed this epic three-parter of God. Nirvana. There were so many notes. So many notes. You were balls out these past few weeks. I wrote... 24 pages of notes. I feel like you wrote more than that, but you're probably right. I did, because for this episode, I took out two full pages of notes. Yeah. We wanted to tell you so much more about Chris, but... I did. There was so much, but I was like, nope. And don't you worry. We will talk much more about Dave in a future episode. Oh, yeah. We'll come back to that. And we will have to drink a coffee stout. Oh, the freshest of pots yeah. of coffee stouts. Some beer company needs to make a coffee stout that's called Fresh Pots. Yeah. We're, we're putting out the call, guys. You got, you got some time before we're going to do a Foo Fighters yeah. episode, so. Fresh Pots. Need it now. Thinking about it. Just put it out there. <laughs> and for now, you guys can go ahead and listen to more of our episodes if you're really digging us. Visit our website, www.rockcandypodcast.com. And there you can comment on episodes, send us an email, or get all the links to our social medias, where we've got Instagram, Twitter, and the Facebooks. All three. My God. Going a little crazy. I know. We're really wacky here with all the social media. (laughs) Even more social media is you can follow... This isn't social media. But if you are liking (laughs) what we're doing, you're digging the music stories, go visit our network pantheon podcasts mm-hmm. over there it's your one-stop shop for whatever you need as far as any genre of music basically and any story you need told it is there pick it up now pantheon podcasts they're gonna help you out <laughs> you sound so over this episode right i'm now. so tired i'm i'm honestly tired about thinking of courtney love <laughs> I'm She's not exhausting. Lie. I'm exhausted about Courtney Love. But yeah, if you want to go and support us, you can go to our Patreon. Get me something to wake me up. Maybe some fresh pots. Give us some of your hard-earned money, money so we can get some fresh pots. I need them. And some more beers. And that's at uh, patreon.com slash rockcandypodcast. And speaking of our Patreon... Oh, my God. We have to shout out our newest patron. Yeah. We have Mora giving us some of her hard-earned monies. Money, please. Thank you so much for supporting us. 
We really, really appreciate you, and we really appreciate all of our patrons who have been giving us a little, a little taste of their hard-earned cash. We know you could spend your money anywhere, <laughs> and yet you choose to spend it on us. We're and flattered. We're, we're flattered and so grateful. Flattered. Yeah, both things. For anybody who is a patron, you got a bonus episode coming out next week, so yes. keep your eyes and ears peeled. We have a lot to talk about. Oh my god, we do. And if you want to be a part of our Patreon and hear that episode, you should become a part of our Patreon. Yes. So you can hear that episode. Yes. Courtney really fucking tapped me this week, this episode. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. All yeah, right. there's a whole lot more that I didn't even put in my notes, so. It's fine. It's fine. We're, I'm glad. I'm glad about that. <laughs> all right, guys, let's all go take naps. We're going to reconvene next week and have a bit more of an upbeat topic. Yes, we need a palate cleanser, and boy, do we have we one. We are the cleanse and cleansing <laughs> the palate. <laughs> Scary for next week, but until then, party on, Ashley. Uh, party on, Maggie. <laughs> go take a nap. Party on, you crazy kids out there. Bye. Bye. It's time to let it roll. The podcast about how and why popular music happens. We're heading into 2020 and it's never been easier to hear music. Old, new, local, international. But has it ever been harder to make sense of popular music? Is this golden age of ubiquity producing great new music? How long will our Uber access to everything ever recorded last? How did the 20th century produce so much great popular music? Is there any chance the 21st century will match it? I'm Nate Wilcox, and I'm obsessed with trying to figure out what the heck happened with popular music in the last 170 years and where we might be headed. Join me as I talk to some of the best music historians on earth. People like Ed Ward, Robert Christgau, Stanley Booth, Ted Joya, Elijah Wald, Susan Whitehall, and Peter Doggett to get the history, the theory, and try to figure out how popular music happens on the Let It Roll podcast.